G'day and welcome to another episode of the All About Occupation series brought to you by the University of Brighton and Dr. Rebecca Twinley. This episode is Dr. Alison Sullivan talking about her search for meaning. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. Hand over to Alison to introduce yourself, and then you can let us all know what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, thank you, Lucy. I really appreciate that introduction. Um, for those who, of you who don't know me, my name's Allison Sullivan. I'm an associate professor of occupational therapy at American International College in Springfield, Massachusetts. I started working as an occupational therapist in 1993. I received my master's in occupational therapy from Springfield College down the road here from where I teach. And um, I started, um, I worked as an OT from 1993 to 2006 full-time. In 2006, I started teaching part-time, and uh, my responsibilities were toward uh, the mental health curriculum in the MSOT program here at American International College. I became a full-time educator in 2011. Um, my responsibilities involve teaching um, group dynamics, the uh, psychoso- the development of psychosocial um, occupations, and the occupational therapy process. And as well, in uh, 2017, I became the founding chair of our post-professional doctorate in occupational therapy, which is also available to international students. And... Um, in that capacity, I mentor capstones for the doctoral degree program, as well as teaching courses and scholarship of teaching and learning and occupational therapy theory. So um, I titled my session today, How Did I Get Here? One Occupational Therapist Search for Meaning. And I did that intentionally because the purpose of this session is really to provide my personal perspective as a practitioner educator, and researcher on the topics that were identified as the focus of this seminar series. In each of these roles, practitioner, educator, educator, and researcher, I've really attempted to try to understand people as occupational beings. Myself, too. I mean, we talk a lot in our field about therapeutic use of self. How do you change yourself to be more available for your clients in order to help them achieve their objectives. Well, you really need to know yourself well in order to be authentic when you share yourself with others or when you manipulate yourself. Um, And and identity has been um, a a moving target for me in different phases of my life. And um, I, I see myself almost as being on a quest. And in that quest, I have really explored and promoted people's engagement in activities, specifically in learning in particular at all different levels of cognition. And this 
really in my own life and in the life of the people I've encountered as students and as um, clients really made me appreciate the high degree of trauma that many people, and certainly even if we think now globally, almost all people in this pandemic have experienced or are experiencing whenever we attempt something new or challenging. So um, recognizing the fact that that so many people have experienced trauma um, has really led me to be very trauma-focused in my intervention strategies. And this recognition has really then gone on to shape my teaching and intervention practices. Um, I've had a lot of uh, meaningful experience in, in these various roles in, in incorporating and thinking about how trauma might affect occupational performance uh, to the degree that this has now focused me. Uh, now, um, I'm in my mid-50s now, and I'm really thinking about what is my legacy in occupational therapy and mental health, and who are the people who've inspired me along that road. So I have recently joined an organization and gotten involved in activities specifically for the purposes of capturing that legacy. Um, and so today I was going to talk about some of the resources that have really resonated with me on this journey um, and, and have are, are kind of, in a way, personal touchstones. And I hope through sharing these um, resources and, and other uh, organizations I'm involved with that this might cause other people to reflect engage in discussion, maybe raise some questions today, and even perhaps debate if, if people would like to do that. Um, so uh, in preparing my comments for today, two, research, uh, two resources that I shared initially is the Slagle Lecture by Charlotte Royene on chaotic, chaotic occupational therapy uh, collective wisdom. Um, and um, this was very interesting to me. In 2006, um, I was recovering from, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'd been raped in 2005. And this really um, uh, came back uh, to set me quite back in my mental health and in my self-concept, in my identity, um, because it touched on issues that I had to deal with as a younger individual. Um, I am and a person who has experienced child sex abuse. Uh, framing our occupations in a chaotic landscape was something that actually gave me peace of mind because it helped to explain to me how I was feeling about myself and the fact that even when we are experiencing chaos, we can move toward organization and use that to fuel our res resilience and our uh, authenticity when working with people who've experienced similar trauma or other trauma. Um, this was reinforced to me um, by an AJI article um, Claire, by, by Renee Padilla. Um, that is Clara a phenomenology of disability. This article captured my attention a lot because A, I felt that it really epitomized the art 
of occupational therapy. One therapist engaged in meaningful work with one client and how that work helped that client develop a new view of self, a new understanding of meaning and occupation and motivation um, amidst personal loss and trauma. Um, so uh, these two these two articles, uh, uh, Royin Slagle lecture on, on chaos theory and occupational therapy uh, as kind of a broad landscape, and uh, Clara, a, phenomena, a phenomenology of disability by Renee Padilla, helped focus me in on the individual in that landscape and take hope and faith that there were ways that I could learn from my own profession to help heal myself. So in this um, landscape of trying to sort out who I was amidst this personally chaotic period in my life, I met Tina Champagne. Um, for those of you who don't know Tina, she is the executive director and CEO of uh, Kitchens Programs for Family and Children which is an organization that provides trauma-informed care and educational services, therapy, and um, other resources to families and children in the region, children experiencing serious mental illness. And uh, Tina has was teaching at AIC. When I started teaching at AIC, she was the chair of our local um, MAOT Massachusetts Occupational Therapy Association Special Interest Group for Western Mass, which was specific to mental health. And um, I came to know her through her teaching and through the organization. She has never ceased to inspire me. She's somebody who has uh, provided a great amount of um, resources and innovation in OT. She developed the first sensory room in adult uh, psychiatry and did some of the initial groundwork in OT around trauma-informed care. She's inspired me personally. She's responsible for the first things I was able to publish. She has nominated me for awards. She is the reason why once I um, grabbed her and uh, got her to agree to um, uh, teach with me in the doctoral program that I felt confident in accepting the job offer to um, be the founding chair for our doctoral program and get that launched. And um, she just continues to motivate me and help me achieve new accomplishments it's uh, the most recent being testifying to the joint committee of our legislature, both the House and the Senate committees on uh, finance and on mental health. Um, you, for those of you in the UK, you might not know this, but only 2% of all OTs in the US actually work in mental health. And so um, we have lost our ability to advocate by getting pushed out of that side of our profession. And Dr. Champagne and I have spent the last 30 years trying to advocate for the role of OT in mental health and making sure that um, people can access occupational therapy um, universally and uh, not right now that it's simply not the case. 
So we would uh, like OT to be recognized by the state of Massachusetts as uh, qualified mental health providers. And to that end, I've actually found myself um, uh, lecturing in that, in, in that too differently than I'm doing now about the value of OT and mental health before our uh, combined Senate and our reps. Um, so in working with Dr. Champagne and in um, embarking on my own doctorate itself, once I got my full-time job in 2011, that was conditional. Um, if I wanted to be tenure track, I had to go back and after not being in school for 20 years, I started my doctorate in 2012 at um, Temple University in Philadelphia. And I finished that and graduated in 2016. Um, and from that work, I was able to accomplish um, publication of my first article for um, the American Journal of Occupational Therapy. So, so this is really about my fascination in terms of how do I improve the health and well-being of the people I was encountering in life. Excuse me, I got knocked out. Um, we can see so, you, Alison. You're still, you're still can live. you see me? Yeah, nothing's happened at this end. Okay, great. Um, so I was teaching, and, and that chance to teach really held a special obligation in my mind in helping to achieve my goal. I really became fascinated in studying how students learn and how to maximize significant learning. Um, in the US, I would have to say that oftentimes for a variety of reasons, most being the lack of jobs, um, the OT students aren't necessarily um, primarily interested or curious about the mental health curriculum. So I really had to explore the meaning of my students' engagement in their learning activities and try to understand what that relationship is between occupation, identity, trauma, recovery, and self-discovery. So my first article, The Impact of a Fieldwork Experience on Attitudes Towards People with Intellectual Disabilities, was um, published in 2017, and that involved a research project that I did to study my students' attitudes. It was the first study in the U.S. using a standardized assessment, which was the attitudes toward people with intellectual disability. Um, and I was looking to see whether fieldwork had an impact on student attitudes. So we did a traditional uh, didactic lecture, a recorded webinar about the social model, actually, by Rachel Perkins, who some of you might be familiar with, um, and some uh, uh, readings about um, um, the experience of having intellectual disability and the kinds of barriers that people face um, on a, a practice model level and on an individual level. And then thereafter, I had the students have a fieldwork experience where they spent time with adults with intellectual disabilities. And I post-tested that again. And, and what we saw was that a lecture 
and traditional teaching methods really had no influence on attitudes. But individualized, personalized experience with individuals with intellectual disabilities had a profound impact on student attitudes. Um, students became more sensitive and empathic as a result of spending time with people with these issues. They became more confident about their knowledge base surrounding the rights and abilities of people with intellectual disabilities. And they also, uh, the more time that people spent, the more they cared. So it, it improved uh, the students' attitudes, spending time with people. And the fieldwork even improved attitudes for individuals who already had other experiences uh, with people with intellectual disability, either through work or through, through a family uh, connection. Um, and in that context, I um, also, in seeking out to kind of find who I am and, 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 and try and meet other occupational therapists, I was lucky that by 2010, social media was happening, and my daughter had actually taken a trip to the UK, and when she came back, she said, Mom, you have to make a Twitter account. Everybody in UK uses Twitter. So this was um, interesting to me. I'd created our school's first Facebook page, and that had wound up being quite successful. But I was tapping my own network on Facebook and feeling like I wanted to branch out and see if I could promote occupational therapy on um, a different scale. And I was curious. In my program, we were really focused on OT models and, and theories, and, and I was interested in learning more about the types of models and, and, and conceptual models that were being used in practice around the world. And I was really lucky in that first year that I was on Twitter that I found OTalk. And um, I was able to use OTalk and host OTalk even for a session very early in its um, development, and that inspired me to try to um, create a US-based chat and a time frame that worked better for uh, working therapists. And so between, from 2012 to 2021, just this past year, um, Tina Champagne and I hosted OTalk to us, a US-based version with permission from OTalk but a U.S.-based version of the same kind of um, information exchange through Twitter. And um, working in this way put me in contact with uh, UK uh, researcher Claire Cunnington, and she was studying um, outcomes of child sex abuse. And I was proud to be a subject for that research, and I've included her website it, it, um, in the resources that I've shared in case anyone is interested in um, learning more about her work or about its outcomes. Um, all of this work has served to really focus me on the different ways that students learn, how we recover from uh, trauma, and what keeps us interested in learning. And, and one um, issue that kept coming up with my students uh, since 2006 is the increasing number of students I had 
who had direct experience with um, drug addiction, opioid addiction, and alcohol abuse. Um, the, the number of students I knew who had family members um, or friends who were um, currently coping with these issues or um, had suffered a loss um, because of overdose um, or just a loss of occupation because of how all-consuming addiction is, um, caused me to want to become much more expert in my knowledge and skills in treating addiction, even though that isn't um, an area of practice where many OTs are working. And I came across um, in my doctoral program a, a prevention and education program offered by SAMHSA. SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, a clearinghouse for evidence-based practice and um, intervention, um, a, a government organization. And in, in, that, pro, uh, in that course, I, uh, from SAMHSA, I learned of a program called ESPER, Screening, brief intervention and referral to treatment. And I am absolutely sold on ESPERT. ESPERT has been proven it was the most effective intervention for reducing or eliminating problematic substance use or abuse out of 40 different programs that SAMHSA looked at. And I really have become taken with the idea that OTs should develop a leadership stance on implementing ESPERT. It's one of the few preventative programs in the U.S. that there's actually reimbursement codes for. And if you uh, work here, if you know something about our system of reimbursement, precious little is dedicated to prevention. So the fact that there was a prevention program that you could actually receive reimbursement for was something that really excited me, and I saw real potential in that OTs could be could actually use their mental health skills and knowledge, regardless of the setting that they worked in, and really start to tackle this um, immense problem, which has only gotten worse during the pandemic of addiction and substance use. Um, in that work, and then so you can see that another resource that I shared is my uh, study on computer simulation training for screening and brief intervention skills. The, the, the main intervention target skill in ESPERT is motivational interviewing. And I was able to locate some um, computer simulation programs that were specifically designed to provide an interactive experience for people to develop their motivational and interviewing skills, as well as um, interview a screen using validated instruments, um, initiate a behavioral health conversation, um, use motivational interviewing, and refer for treatment. And I was really taken with that, and again, uh, I, I love to engage my students in my work, and my students were my subject, and it turns out that um, screening and brief intervention computer simulation really does help people become more confident about their skill set and feel more prepared to use it with others.
So I, I've been evolving. Um, I really wanted to be um, epitomize the role of community-based scholar um, and, and engage in community-based scholarship. And so along the way, I've been able to become involved with a number of different local organizations. Um, the Martin Luther King Jr. Family Service Organization is one that's near and dear to my heart, one of the um, uh, largest organizations closest to the school where I work with the mission of um, keeping Dr. King's dream alive. I also serve on the Human Rights Committee for Viability Inc., which is an organization that provides a variety of services to adults with intellectual disability. Viability also is the organizer of our international clubhouse um, affiliations in the region. And um, as I mentioned previously, I uh, work in a part-time capacity at Kitchens Programs for Families and Children, which is the, uh, I work on the residential side uh, with children with serious mental illness. And um, Dr. that's Dr. Champagne's organization. Um, some of the other organizations in which I'm involved that really speak to my work specifically as an OT practitioner, educator, and research. I'm a member of the Allen Cognitive Network Board. Um, I was very happy that we were able to host our first virtual symposium um, in February of last year. And um, I also have become uh, quite familiar with the work of Christine Helfrich. Christine Helfrich is an occupational therapist who has her PhD in public health. Um, she's written extensively on um, practice uh, with populations who've experienced domestic violence, um, homelessness, um, and uh, other forms of uh, marginalization. And she developed the Life Skills Manual to help um, people who are in count, who are um, underhoused or currently experiencing homelessness um, in, in a group of activities around building life skills for people who don't have secure housing. Um, she is also now a full-time member of the AIC faculty. She is an AOTF uh, recognized scholar and researcher and she teaches the research component of the doctoral program and uh, evidence-based practice course here in the uh, MSOT as well. And in my most recent um, kind of search where I've really turned my lens towards what my legacy is, um, a lot of my teachers now are retiring. And it really got me concerned uh, being in Western Massachusetts, I don't know how this experience works um, provincially out in the UK, but we're pretty much overshadowed oftentimes by um, this BU and Tufts, big, big programs, uh, old programs out, established programs out um, in Boston. And I was concerned that the contributions of OT leaders from the Western part of the state may not be recorded in the history of um, the profession. And if it's not, right, you know, a lot of people say about your notes, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. 
So I joined this organization, OT Leaders and Legacy Society, and I recently had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Helfrich and understanding her experiences and background and recording that for the OT Leaders and Legacy Society Oral History Project. Um, so that's kind of where I've been at and what I've been up to uh, for the past bit of time. Um, I'm happy to take questions. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.